This episode is brought to you by the Shop 1 in 5 Pledge. We believe that when you purchase from a small online or offline business, your dollar goes further. Hey friends, Mina and I created the Shop 1 in 5 Pledge, and we're inviting you to take it with us. It's a commitment to make one in five of your purchases from a small business online or offline. It's a way to make an impact together where and when it matters most. Because the truth is, your purchasing power matters now more than ever. Head to shop1in5.com to take the pledge. Make that commitment to shop one in five of your purchases towards a small business. We also invite you to shop the directory if you don't know where to find other small businesses. It's right there on the page. And we're asking for you to share the pledge. Imagine if each of us told three to four people about the Shop 1 in 5 pledge. It would be an incredible and life-changing for so many small businesses. Tell your friends, your family, and your social network. It costs nothing extra and makes a world of difference. Our purchases have the ability to change lives. Okay, let's jump in. Welcome to the Product Boss Podcast, where we help product-based businesses grow their sales and improve their strategies. Hey, everyone. I want to introduce you to my co-host and biz bestie, Mina Kunlosita, an Amazon guru that has built a multi-six-figure product-based business. In introducing the other half of the product boss, Jacqueline Snyder. She has helped launch and grow over 500 fashion apparel and accessory brands, even one of her own. And together, we share our inventory of secret weapons that will help you dig deep and do the work it takes. Are you ready? Let's build together. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Product Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Snyder, with my awesome co-host, Mina Kunlosetep. Hey, Mina. Hey, Jacqueline. So today, we're really honored to have a very special guest with us. We have David Meltzer. David Meltzer is the co-founder of Sports One Marketing and formerly served as CEO of the renowned Lay Steinberg Sports and Entertainment Agency, um, which, by the way, friends, inspired the movie Jerry Maguire. He's considered one of the top esports entrepreneurs and investors. And David is also a three-time international best-selling author, a top 100 business coach, and the host of the top entrepreneur podcast, The Playbook. Welcome to the podcast, David. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. This will be fun. We're so excited to have you. Um, you and I have previously met. I did one of your um, Instagram lives that you do every day. So if any of you are looking to dig more into it, there's the podcast and also the Instagram lives, which are just a great way to start your day. So I wanted to start first off with your journey. Um, I, I actually align very similarly to your journey. I'm the oldest of five kids. My goal always has been to buy my mom a house. And I think that that's somewhat in your journey as well. So would you mind just letting people know if they don't know who you are yet? Sure. Well, my journey is specifically about money uh, because I grew up with none. Single mom, six kids. I've sat in the middle, which is probably why I seek attention so much. But I wanted to buy my mom a house in a car because I had an extraordinary mom, probably a lot like yours, Jacqueline. You know, I just wanted to do everything I could for her because she did everything she could for me and my siblings uh, work two jobs, pack my dinner in a paper bag. Uh, only time we weren't happy with all of that financial stress was when there was financial stress. Car would break down. She couldn't afford food. Uh, you know, especially she put a lot of pressure on herself because her vision of being a parent was the fetus wasn't fully developed till after graduate school or grandchildren. So that was a lot of pressure to put on herself. But 
I was blessed to have a mom like I did. And I am blessed, I still think, because I was so focused on money. My siblings were more focused on what my mom wanted them to focus in on, which was doctor, lawyer, or failure. Uh, I just wanted to be rich. I wanted to buy my mom a house and a car. I figured I'd be the favorite child. Money buys love and happiness. What else could I have? And so uh, the advantage of that, especially in a young age, is that you always keep your options open. I think so many uh, entrepreneurs, young people, put so much pressure on them about what other people want for them or what they perceive other people want for them. You know, in my opinion, just if anyone's listening, all your parents want from you, take this from a parent, is that one, that you're healthy, two, that you're happy, three, that you love them, and four, you appreciate them, meaning you recognize the value that they bring to your life, both good and bad lessons that they teach you. Remember, these are both valuable in a life. Anyway, I kept my options open, graduated law school, uh, and had two job offers. One was to be a litigator. The other was to sell legal research online in, in 1992. Uh, and my mom actually, another piece of advice, my mom actually told me the internet's a fad and that if I took that job, I was an idiot. I should be a real lawyer. So just because someone loves you doesn't mean they give you good advice, everyone. You got to remember that. So find people that sit in the situation you want to be in that have expertise in what you want to learn. Uh, but anyway, from that point on, everything in my life reaffirmed that money bought love and happiness. Uh, we sold that company. I was a millionaire nine months out of law school. I, I took the sales job. Millionaire nine months out of law school. Uh, bought my mom a house and a car. Uh, in my opinion, my siblings won't agree, but I think I was my mom's favorite for a while there. Uh, so even everything reinforced uh, what I was doing. I went to the, uh, our, our company exited for 3.4 billion in 1995. Uh, not many companies were worth that in 1995. And then I uh, went to the Silicon Valley. By the time 1999 came, I was CEO of the world's first smartphone. Uh, I'm so old, they didn't even call it a smartphone. First of all, it was a Windows device, not an Apple device. Second of all, they called it a convergence device, converging telephones and computers in the palm of your hand. It was an incredible advancement in technology. Uh, moreover, I was a multimillionaire by the time I was 30. Uh, but here's the funny thing. I had everything I ever wanted. I even married my dream girl from the fourth grade who hated me, uh, threw an egg. I threw an egg at her at sixth grade camp because she won't go steady with me. Uh, she even married me later on in life. So I can't tell you everything seemed to revolve around my money. And for the first time in my life at 30, uh, I wasn't happy. Um, and, uh, I was empty. So I bought a whole bunch of things I didn't need to impress people I didn't like. Uh, and through that period of, of my life, I also met a man named Lee Steinberg, Sports and Entertainment that you mentioned. Uh, they uh, based the movie Jerry Maguire about our sports agency. I now not only had all the money I ever dreamed of, but I had access. Millionaires, billionaires, entrepreneurs, celebrities, athletes, entertainers, Super Bowl, Pro Bowl, Masters, anything I wanted to do or go to, the award shows, that's where my life would change uh, running that company. So. I ended up learning some valuable lessons about that relationship to money, that it doesn't buy happiness and that it allows you to shop, uh, but you got to learn to shop for the right things. And so the second half of my career has been around learning to shop for the right things. Uh, I actually ended up losing everything later on uh, to help accelerate the lessons as well.
I love that so much. Um, that is certainly an evolution, even with money mindset, as well as you just learning as a human, right? What mattered to you and having gone through that. So do you think that you would have changed any of that, any of the the things? Because here you are, right? You, you know, I, I get really raw and transparent. The only thing I would have changed, uh, I, I would have changed buying like the Ferraris and, you know, the partying and all, like, I, I just went a little bit too far on the partying with alcohol and drugs, you know, that I wish, you know, that, that was just completely wasteful. You know, I, I think you can learn lessons by, you know, having your ego be in your way and buying things you don't need, you know, showing off, being egotistical and, you know, my relationship with money, my relationship to giving because I gave for the wrong reasons is another thing I wouldn't change because I had to learn it. But, you know, just for younger people out there, you know, they romanticize the alcohol and drug use. I just don't need it in my life. And maybe that's an old man talking that they're like, yeah, but you parted your ass off, Dave. You know, it's easy for you to say, I want to have fun like you did. I think I took it a little too far. and <laughs> That'd be the only thing I changed. Thanks for sharing that. And, you know, and, and like you empower other people to empower others to be happy. Right. And I think, and we're actually coming out of some coaching calls this morning with some of our masterminders and they're starting to build massive wealth, wealth that they'd never even imagined. And actually one of the calls, one of the topics this morning was I have all this money sitting in my account. What do I do with it? Right. And then she's still feeling like she's chasing, like it's this rat race. Cause she's like, I want to buy a house, but I can't afford the house I want. And so she's, and so I think our e-commerce businesses have done very well over 2020, right? People have built, started to build wealth. Also, we're not spending as much. So I'd love to talk a little bit about that, that mindset of maybe some tips that you can give to our listeners about if they're starting to come into wealth or they're starting to have money, how they can start to wrap their mind around it. Because even with me coming from a scarcity perspective, as we're building wealth, my brain keeps slipping back to scarcity or to buying things, right? To having things and wanting it and saying like that equals wealth versus a savings account or investments for retirement and all the other things that come with it. Yeah. I think there's two things that I learned through also having a lot of money when I was young and not knowing what to do with it is there's a mindset of three worlds. And I think the more we acknowledge which world we're in, regardless of how much money we have. So when I was young, I lived in the mindset of the world of not enough. No matter what I would have, there wasn't enough. Uh, I was a victim. Everything happened to me. I lived below the line in blame, shame, and justification, and there was always more to have. And I would say things like, why can't I have this? Why do they have that house? Why? And, and I got into a mindset of not enough. And then through having wealth, I kind of evolved into that stage that a lot of the people that you probably coach are, these masterminders that you have, it's the world of just enough. You know, you know in your head, you know, I'm secure, I got money in the bank, but it's just enough for me. So you buy things to be happy. When you're not happy, you buy more things. Uh, you buy different things. You try to impress people. You know, the insecurities there that people are going to respect you because you have a Ferrari or like you more because you have this. Um, and then what happens is if you can take inventory of your own values and also start aligning what your timing and risk tolerance is with money. This changed my life. I can't tell you how many people ask me about investment. You know, I have one of the top coaching businesses in the world. I coach chairmen of huge companies and startup people as well. But even for that spectrum, it's amazing how many times they come to me and say, 
what do you think about cryptocurrency, Dave? Should I invest in, you know, mana? You know, and I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Tell me what your timing and risk tolerance is. And I think you need to establish that first because now you can align your timing and risk tolerance to what you want to invest in. So if you're super confident, that, like I am, that I can always make money and you're 25 years old, then your timing and risk tolerance may be 95% of everything I want to throw on the line. But if you're 53 and super confident that you can make money, my risk tolerance is exact opposite. I want to put 95% of what I make into an account that will grow without losing a penny, even if it grows gradually and doubles every seven years instead of every seven months. Why? Because I've learned that I can make more money on the front end without worrying about my money on the back end and there's no reason for me to lose it. It's all based off of taking inventory of your timing and risk tolerance and aligning it with what you want. Once you do that, there's a great freedom in living in the world of more than enough where everything comes through me for others. And it's a beautiful world, an abundant world. My mindset, heart set, and conscious continuum truly believes in infinity. That just because I have a ton doesn't mean that you guys can't have a ton too. I, when I was younger, it was like, if I have it, you guys can have it. And if you guys have it, I can't have it. Not true. Money, time, space, they're all infinite. We just can't fathom infinity. I love that. Blowing my mind here. Um, if you all saw us on video right now, you would see that David is in front of this poster of like a $100 bill that says money doesn't buy happiness. And there's like a sticker on top of it that's a happy face. And it just brings out this, you know, wonderful feeling of that's true. Money doesn't buy happiness. But it feels cerebral, right? It feels like it's in your head. Like that's just something we all think and that we understand, but we don't quite understand. Are there things that you do in practice that help with that, right? To make it less cerebral. Yeah. One, I think of money as energy. Uh, and the two energies in my life that I care the most about are currencies. So money's energy that you put into the flow in the current is called a currency. An object of energy that you put into the flow is a currency and it gets you what you want. So the two biggest currencies in the world, in this vibration, as I call it, the pragmatic earth that we live in, this conscious continuum that I speak of, number one is money, right? That's why shopping for the right things, purposefully utilizing your currency in the right way to make you happy, aligned with your timing and risk tolerance and your values is essential. But the second one has changed my life. And I never thought of it as a currency before, and that's faith. Faith is an object of energy that we put into the flow to get what we want. And so when we blend the two currencies in our lives, we can, number one, establish that we're happy where we're at. Most people are searching for something they already have. You're already happy, you're already healthy, and you're already wealthy. You just have to understand what you're doing to interfere with it. You're already connected to the abundant source of everything for everyone, the light, the love, and the lessons that have an extraordinary power to it. You are already connected to that. You're just interfering with it. So you have to shift that paradigm by understanding the currency of money, the currency of faith to say, I'm happy exactly where I'm at, the right place at the perfect time. Now, I believe in the law of Goya before the law of attraction. The law of Goya is get off your... So what that says to me is I am going to do everything I can to go towards what I think I want. And I'm gonna use pain, not to stop me, but pain as a turn signal, not a stop sign, 
to angle me to what I want because it's an indicator that I have a lesson to learn. And when I learn the lesson, I'm going to end up somewhere better to a better situation because of that lesson. So I now can blend money to go ahead and remind me I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I have everything I need or I wouldn't be here. I'm going to institute the law of Goya to give that 100% towards my potential. But most importantly, I have faith I'm going to end up somewhere better than that. And when you blend those two currencies, money doesn't buy happiness. But here's the irony. That that, uh, background by Iconic, that picture is made by Iconic, they, uh, it, it's funny because my motto in life, it, trademark motto, is simply make a lot of money to help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. That, that's my trademark sign. That's my mission statement, how I'm going to get people to be happy is to teach them to make a lot of money, help a lot of people, and have a lot of fun. But money doesn't buy happiness. It's what you do with it or shop with it that will. I love that so much. And that is that is a really cool backdrop that you have there. Um, one of the things, can we, I want to switch it to a little bit about the, the elevator pitch. Um, you've met so many, the entrepreneur elevator pitch. Could you tell us a little bit about that? And what I'm curious about is that you've met so many people that literally stand in front of you for 60 seconds and pitch, right? But before we go into that, because I kind of felt like this was a little bit like, you know, our 30 minute, you know, pitch to you, right? That um, to be right here with you, what has impressed you about people? Is there anybody that stands out to you that you could share with us what they did, who they were, um, somebody that stuck out to you and why? Yeah, absolutely. I will do a shameless plug because I have two pitch shows. One's Elevator Pitch with Entrepreneur, and then I have a new hit show on Bloomberg TV and Amazon called Two Minute Drill. So I do a one-minute pitch show in an elevator and a two-minute pitch show. One, we fund companies like Dragon's Den and Shark Tank. The other one's $50,000 of cash and prizes just for the pitch. No funding. You just you get a pitch winner every episode. So there's five things that I look for, and there's one woman in Elevator Pitch that was all tens. You know, she's the Nadia Kamenich of the, of the pitch, 10, 10, 10. So number one, credibility. This woman uh, had had two exits before she was 30 years old. Uh, she had to work for the governor, uh, went to an Ivy League school, just an extraordinary, credible person. And when she pitched, more importantly than her background, she didn't oversell, back-end sell, lie, manipulate, or cheat. So many people pitch and they ruin their pitch because they lose all their credibility and they forget that credibility is the number one thing when you pitch. Because if you're 100% credible, people do whatever you ask. If I, if I was 100% credible, I could say, you guys wire me a million bucks after the show, I'll send you back two million tomorrow. If I was 100% credible, you would do it. But most people aren't. But what they do is they say really stupid things to get in the way. They'll say, my revenue's up 300% this year. And then my mind immediately says, if you really had any revenue, you wouldn't say that. You would tell me I did a million last year and we're already at 3 million this year. Not I'm up 300%, which probably meant to me, you did a dollar and now you're at $3. So this woman was credible. And then where she kicked was the second most important thing, which is she gave emotional attachment. People buy on emotion for logical reasons. And if you don't believe me, look at your purses and your shoes. Not to be a sexist, but I'm married with three daughters and I look at their shoes and purses. I'm like, they buy on emotion for logical reasons. I saved $1,000 on the purse. I'm like, no, you spent $2,000 and you're emotionally attached to it. Uh, May you love your husband as much as that purse. Um, Anyway, 
this woman, this is where she got me. Nothing to do with her business. She was only 18. She was volunteering and she met two 12-year-old little kids that didn't have parents and she wanted to adopt and she was going to college and she wanted to adopt them and her parents said, if you adopt these kids, we're gonna disown you and she still adopted and now she's in her 30s and these kids were almost in high school that, I mean, out of high school that she adopted. Like, I was crying. So credibility, emotional attachment, then just being able to articulate the quantitative value of what you're asking for to be greater than what, I mean, to, what you're asking for to be less than what you're giving, right? So if you can articulate the quantitative value to be more than what you're asking for, you're there. And you do that by quantifying reasons, impacts, and capabilities. That's the perfect pitch. Someone who's credible, emotional attaching, as well as quantifying reasons, impacts, and capabilities of the business. Use the features and benefits to support that, not to prove it. And you are golden on the pitch. And what would you say is a mistake that you've seen people make? The non-golden yeah. pitches. <laughs> yeah. So beyond lying, manipulating, cheating, and that, that stuff, uh, number one, they don't ask which blows my mind. I've done six seasons of Elevator Pitch. We're on the second season of Two Minute Drill. And people, I mean, you guys have seen it. It's out there. It's on all these things. And I'm always telling them, I don't know what you want. You forgot to ask. I think it's one of the biggest problems with people in the world. They don't ask. So that's the number one mistake that's made. They don't ask. Another one is they don't practice. And I think this is true on all aspects of life. So this is a microcosm of life, the asking and the practicing, because it's amazing. I practice ending fear. Like I tell people all the time, I still have the same fears that you two have. I, you know, the need to be right, offended, separate, inferior, superior, anxious, frustrated, angry, guilty, resentful, which wastes so much time, money, and emotion and ruins relationships, by the way. And yet every day, it's still there. So I practice ending it to spend minutes and moments instead of when I was your age, I spent weeks, days, months, and years in that wasteful uh, egotistical or ego-based consciousness. So please practice, please ask, and then utilize the five steps in a, in a pitch. And I promise you, your statistical success will increase exponentially. Amazing. Well, David, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I think minds are blown. Any of you that want to follow David, read his book, the podcast, the Instagram lives, all of this. So would you mind letting our listeners know how they can connect with you, follow you? Oh, I'm so sweet. Yes. I do free trainings on Friday for everyone for over 20 years. Just email me directly. I answer them myself, david at dmeltzer.com, dmeltzer.com. Or if you forget all of that, just remember my name, David Meltzer and Google it. You'll find me. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Thank you. One last thing before we go, we created this podcast as a reminder, you are not alone. Growing your product biz is hard. We want to help you through it. So thank you so much for listening because we truly appreciate it. And we want to shout out all of you that have left a positive review. Thank you. Mina and I read every single one of them, including this one from your biggest fan, Grace. It says insightful, actionable for the coaching. So it says Jacqueline and Mina are really wonderful hosts. They know what they're talking about and they're fun. So this isn't a chore to listen to. It will give you clarity and motivation to keep growing your product business. We've worked with Jack and Mina in their masterminds and our business is growing by leaps and bounds. I think this might be Grace and Leah. Oh, it is. 
Tiny and Snail. Shout out Tiny and Snail. Thank you. And, you know, biggest fan. That's awesome. Right. We we were like, Grace Masterminds, who is it? Tiny and Snail, which is an incredible product-based business that you could listen to one of their episodes on the podcast. So thank you for leaving that review, Grace. And we cannot wait to continue to support more small businesses. This episode is brought to you by the Shop One in Five Pledge. We believe that when you purchase from a small online or offline business, your dollar goes further. Hey friends, Mina and I created the Shop One in Five Pledge, and we're inviting you to take the pledge with us. It's a commitment to make one in five of your purchases from a small business, online or offline. It's a way to make an impact together where and when it matters most. Because the truth is, your purchasing power matters now more than ever. We're inviting you to take the pledge if you head to shop one in five. Dot com. The link is in the show notes. And when you get there, please make sure to share the pledge with your friends, your family, and your customers. Let's invite everyone to take the Shop 1 in 5 pledge so that we can all use our purchasing power to change lives. <laughs>